You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's Wayne on Wednesday, and Wayne McCurry is from FNB Wealth and Investment. He's a portfolio manager, and this podcast is proudly brought to you by sharenet.co.za. Wayne, the US markets last night, almost sort of stealthily and unannounced, went to all-time record highs. Quite extraordinary. Yes. Yeah, and it was powered by good company earnings, but I mean, understand there's a few dynamics at play. First of all, the market fell off heavily at the end of last year, and all that's happened so far is that the market has recouped that loss. Okay. So I would be very cautious to say we're embarking on a new bull market overseas. The second big factor is that company earnings were surprisingly good. I mean, okay. they were so far the company earnings have come out of beat expectations, so that's quite a positive. But you must remember the U.S. economy, the growth rate is slowing down. So under that scenario, coupled with higher interest rates, now you can't expect a new bull market to develop from this level because markets are already, you know, quite not 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 massively expensive, but they are certainly on the expensive side. So I think anyone who's calling a, a major new bull market just because of the run we've had in the last four months, I think might be too optimistic. It's basically just pulled up to uh, just took back what it what it uh, just gave what it took back last year. Yeah. Okay. But nonetheless, it has taken that back. I know that that dip we saw in December, which was nearly ten percent, was frightening. But now here we are. We are now ten years. And one month and a bit into a bull market. Ten years, Wayne. I mean, you must be getting slightly nervous about this. Yes, you are. But, and you know, these are, as we've said on many occasions, these are the most dangerous words in investments. You know, this time around, it's different. (laughs) The one major, major difference is that inflation has not reared its ugly head. Ah, we'll talk about that in a moment with the oil price. But anyway, go on. Yeah, no inflation. And, and when I say inflation, it's consumer demand-driven inflation. Normally, when you have such a sustained period of relative, of low interest rates, people go mad. They borrow and they spend and they buy the third house on spec and hmm. the second and third and fourth house on spec and they buy a new car every year and they just go crazy because debt is so cheap. This time around, because of the shock they got in 2008, People have been very reticent, very cautious about going out and taking on excess debt. <clears throat> and therefore, there's no demand-driven inflation. You will get – if the oil price goes up because that's an engineered price, you might get a bit of inflation. Food is cyclical. That can also cause inflation. But the true damaging inflation is demand-driven where consumers will just pay any price for anything. And then all the manufacturers – get into marginal costing and they start expanding their factories to meet the excess demand and they start incurring debt. And that's normally how the cycle ends. So this time around, that is a bit different. It still doesn't detract from the fact that the bull market is old. And I'm quite convinced that we are not embarking on the continuation of the 10-year bull market. We're not going to have another 10 years of the bull market. But the key is still inflation. That is still and always has been the key. Because with the good inflation outlook, the Federal Reserve changed their stance and said, 
no more no more rate hikes and that's really what has caused the market to go up what it lost at the end of so the So what you're saying is, Wayne, I'm just there's so many things you've just said, but what you're saying is because the oil price is seventy four dollars fifty, Brent crude oil at the moment, trading yeah. in London, because it's not demand-driven, because it's supply-driven, because of Mr. Trump and his talks about the May the 1st sanctions that's going to be imposed upon anyone that imports or trades with Iran. Yes. You're saying that that's completely different. But if you're an economist, you're sitting down on a Monday morning and they say, there we are, Wayne McCurry, a chief economist at McCurry Bank. The oil price is this. The inflation rate is therefore going to be what? It doesn't matter whether it's demand-driven or supply-driven. The rate is right. No, I, the, the, but understand, oil's contribution to the CPI in America is maybe one-tenth of what it was in the 70s. Eh? It, has, it, it is it's still an influence, but it is significantly smaller than what it was. So I think the oil price could go to 100, could go to 120. Yes before it would have a dramatic effect on inflation. It is relatively small in developed market economies. And these 200,000 people that keep on getting jobs in the United States of America every single month, they're not, they're not going out and spending? I mean, it's been going on for years now. I had an yes. interview, I think, around about two years ago, where I said, I don't think inflation is going to be a factor in our lives again because of efficiencies, because of the fact that there is a supply chain efficiency Correct. in the world's consumption patterns that means that prices just don't go up anymore. I mean, was I wrong? Correct. Now, look, uh, forever is a very, very long time, and hopefully you and I will live many, many happy years into the future. Of but for will. the foreseeable future, because of efficiency gains on the back of, call it the fourth industrial revolution or whatever you want to call it, computers, IT, efficiencies, communications, yes. it has kept a significant cap it has. on inflation. It, it, is, it, it in itself is deflationary. Yes. I mean, surprisingly enough, even in South Africa, I went to a lunch given today by a major motor car retailer. And they say the ticket price of new cars has been going up 3% per year for the last four years. But because the, the car manufacturers are so keen to move stock, they give discounts. So there's actually been new car price deflation in South Africa for three years. You can hardly believe it, but this is what they said. But you see deflation in lots of places overseas. I mean, you compare, when we bought a TV in the 1980s, I mean, it cost you an arm and a leg. You know, and I think TVs now cost the same. The TVs now cost less in nominal terms than what they did in the 80s. Do you know something yeah, else, so, Wayne? Something else. I mean, I was in a European city recently and I went online and looked at what was going on with secondhand goods. People are giving away televisions in this place. Just, yes. you've, you've just got to come yes. and collect it. This is a yeah. television that in South Africa might cost um, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 rand. They say, just come and get it because, it's, it because it's, it's, it's obsolete. So that, yeah. that is an immediately deflationary environment. Yeah. But look, deflation goes to a certain point. And look, deflation's been around for a long time. It might have accelerated a little bit over the last couple of years. But deflation because of technological changes has actually been around for a long time. Yes. That will, however, be swamped if the consumer actually truly 
if animal spirits are reawakened and the consumer <laughs> just goes crazy yeah. and borrows and spends, but that's not happening now. Animal spirits. Okay, let's mm. have a look at um, the communications sector of the JSC Securities yes. Exchange because there was an announcement today which talked about you have to bring your prices down, talking about deflation. What did you make of that Correct. announcement? Well, look, this has been going on for a long time, eh? so this is not new. There's been regulatory and competition issues with data prices yes. and uh, and call prices, especially interconnect fees. But the big thing is still data prices, and they've still got a way to go. So the cell phone companies in South Africa, you are operating in a very mature and, quite frankly, a very difficult environment. You're sitting with decreasing voice minutes. We're all talking less on the phone. And that's, that's not fixed line. That's nowadays everyone. Right. Data volumes are going up, but data prices are going down at more or less the same pace. So you're sitting with flat revenue. You know, you're lucky if you're a cell phone company and you get a 1% or 2% increase in revenue in South Africa each year, yet your costs aren't going up by 1% or 2%. And your cash flow to keep that network up to date and to expand to the next generation whatever that is coming up because there's, you know, every four or five years, there's a new, you know, a whole new technological advance in the cell phone industry. So these guys are squashed, they squashed from the top line, they squashed on the cost line and they squashed on the CapEx line, you know, so this is a very mature industry and that's why you get Vodacom, you know, trading at a seven dividend yield because, it's going to be extremely difficult for them to grow earnings and maybe even more difficult for them to get cash flow. You know, Vodacom's maybe the only one that can maybe get some positive cash flows, but MTN, I don't think is going to have positive cash flows. And no matter what anyone says, Sol C and Telcom just simply cannot win. No. They are the small players in an incredibly difficult industry and when the next generation of technology comes out, now forget what that is, whether it's 4G or 5G, it doesn't matter. I'm a bit of a Luddite when it comes to these things. But <laughs> if the government regulator doesn't allow them to share that network, it's only MTN and Vodacom that will be able to afford to roll out that new network. Telcom and Salsi have no chance on the face of this earth to find that capex to roll out the network. So they will become, they will just have to piggyback as they are now on cell phone and MTN because they can't even afford to roll out the current network. So they are going to become what are called these virtual network operators where they just hire network space. They, they don't have a network of their own. In other words, like F&B is a virtual private, a virtual network operator because they don't own a network. They just go and hire from MTN or Vodacom, I can't remember which one. Yeah. But it's a very difficult industry this, industry this, and quite rightly so, lower data costs is good for the country. So this regulatory drive is going to carry on. And of course, then you've got competitors like rain coming into the market. It undercuts you on the data bundle by 50%. That's tough. It's a tough market. What do you do? Do you buy one of these companies or is it just a utility now that is just going to grind its way higher along with inflation in South Africa? It is a utility and the only one I would buy, which we do own, is Vodacom because they are the biggest operator and they've spent a lot of money on their network 
and MTN's trying to catch up a little bit. But you only buy them at a 7% dividend yield. You don't buy it at a 2% dividend yield. So, so in other words, a lot of bad news is in the share price. Okay. Let's have a look at just on uh, shenet.ca.za, South Africa's Tonga to restate prior results yes. after review. What is that all about? Why do they have to okay, restate Tongot, things? Yeah, Tonga came out with a cautionary announcement, I don't know, three months ago. Yeah. Saying, chaps, we've got problems. We've got problems with the carrying value of our well, well, to be honest, they didn't tell us what the problem was. They just said there's a serious problem. But they only do two things. They develop land and they grow sugar cane. So that's the, the problem's got to sit there. And that must be the carrying value. What value do they put on their land? What costs they've amortized into the land value? What interest they've amortized into the land value? And what the carrying costs of their crops are? So now we know for the last, I don't know, three, four years, Tongot land sales have not been good. In other words, that whole Umstanga Ridge there, that's developed. That was theirs. Yes. And when that started out, they made a billion rand a year land sales. You know, it was fantastic. In fact, Tongot almost became a, a, a property company, not a sugar company. Whereas the last two or three years, they've sold virtually nothing. And they've obviously now on their balance sheet got to look at the carrying cost of that land, what value have they put in that land? Because before you sell it, you've got to put a lot of cash in to develop it. Eh? You've got to put in all the utilities, all the infrastructure, the roads and that. And obviously, it's not worth what they're carrying on their balance sheet. And they're going to have to write down this year and last year. And they've also said we're chatting to our creditors to make sure that we can stay in business. Now, Omni has said that as well. Whenever a company announces we're talking to our borrower, to our, to our lenders, you know there's a serious cash flow problem and these companies are in dire, dire trouble. Mm. So the whole Tongat land thing was incredibly successful for many years and now it's a complete millstone around their neck because they put too much money into it and they can't sell it for the money they've put into it. Mm. PSG final results and the other one is South Africa's Life Healthcare warns on earnings after disposal. Oh. Wayne, what are you doing at the moment? I mean, we've got three weeks now. Yeah. Leading up to the election, of course, where we have got short trading weeks, we've got the United States markets going to the levels that we've spoken about earlier, all-time record highs. And if you're a chartist, you say, well, it's a double top. And if you're another chartist, you say, well, it's a reverse head and shoulders. It just, just seems to me that things are not tallying up. I mean, when I see a company like Pinterest coming to the market and the market loving it, I think something's wrong somewhere. I don't want to invest in a company that allows you to put pictures on a website. Or is it just me? Look, that, is, that is the new way. Uh, things are different nowadays from the dot-com boom. Dot-com boom, no one made money. Mm. Whereas now the Amazons and Googles and the rest of them make an absolute fortune. And they've got incredibly <laughs> strong balance sheets. Yes. So I still wouldn't invest in a startup that's making a loss. A so-called unicorn. I wouldn't invest in that. I still carry, luckily enough, not such deep scars from the dot-com. <laughs> we were extremely fortunate. We sold out our die data virtually at the highest price. Well done. And we didn't invest in any other one. That was more luck than anything else. But it didn't matter. Yeah. This is not the dot-com. These are established companies. They have significant longer-term problems. So it's, let's call it a 10-year problem. And you can already see it starting out now. Legislators don't like companies that have so much power mm. over anything, but public opinion. 
So you've already seen a few congressional hearings where they said, how can you allow these accounts with, with fake news? How did you collaborate with this? Are you influencing public opinion? Donald Trump says, when everyone puts in Donald Trump, you know, nine out of 10 news reports are bad. Or maybe that's just Donald Trump. But there's going to be more and more political interference in the social media companies because they can sway world opinion. You know, they can influence elections. They can, I mean, they caused the Arab Spring. Without, without social network, Arab Spring wouldn't have happened. Now when you get trouble happening in a country anywhere, they just shut down the internet. They shut down social media in total. Yes. So these companies have got serious monopoly. It's called it monopoly issues over a 10-year basis because of interference with legislators. But that's not in our investment horizon. That's way beyond our investment horizon. So it's not the dot-com. What, what are we doing now in South Africa? When we, we run, as I always carry on about, well-diversified portfolios, Yes. But we have got a clear slant to South African consumer shares simply because they're cheap. Yeah, just they can get they cheaper. Though, but cheap. they can get cheaper though, Wayne. And we have to talk no, about this. I, hear you. I need to I need to get a, a forum together here because I'm seeing a minus four point eight percent figure from vehicle sales in South Africa. I'm seeing the leading economic indicator not being that yeah. that great. And yet you're you're still promoting South African stocks. We have to talk about this with economists, sure. etc. And we'll do that. Wayne McCurry, thank you very much for your time this evening. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FMB Wealth and Investment. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za.